Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Electrifying AI. Our mission is to provide a venue for clean energy enthusiasts to gain up-to-date insights on the latest developments taking shape in the electricity sector. Along the way, we'll help demystify the connection between the greatest machine ever built, the electric grid, and the greatest enabler of our time, data analytics. To help us do that, we'll have a series of guests this season who will hold a variety of different roles throughout the electricity industry. For today's episode, we, ha- we are honored to be joined by an energy expert who brings with her a wealth of unique life and professional experiences that will prove invaluable as our industry navigates the ongoing energy transition. Don James is the U.S. Director of Sustainability and Environmental Services at Microsoft. But her title doesn't even begin to tell you the full story of the expertise she brings to her role. She's a violinist, a geoscientist, a mom, and a technology solutions professional. And she could teach us all about Houston, her time working at Halliburton, or even how fluvial sedimentology works. And I got to ask her if I said that right. Um, I've even heard her say that she's previously worked in construction as well. Don, it is such a pleasure to welcome you to Electrifying AI. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So I've offered our listeners and viewers a snapshot of who you are. How would you describe yourself and your role within the industry? Yeah, so I mean, I think that you did a you did a great job in describing what it is that I do and, and some of the background that I have. But you know, first and foremost, I really think of myself as a as a systems thinker, as a mm. systems leader. Um, really looking at um, looking at and recognizing patterns um, and the intersection of different systems. I'm also a geoscientist, is the way is is what you've mentioned. Um, I have um, uh, training and education in, in geoscience, masters and, and bachelor's degree in geology, geoscience, um, and because of. The way that I was trained and the education that I received, I have um, a background in not just earth systems, but a a methodology for critical thinking that involves Mm. a scientific method and the uniqueness of geosystems, right? And the way that I learned how to think through problems um, and identify solutions, right? So so I bring mm-hmm. that to bear when whenever I solve a problem, I go back to my roots on how um, how to to exercise critical thinking. And in this stage of you know digital transformation, industry 4.0, um, all of these type of, of ways of thinking comes to bear, right? Mm-hmm. So when you start talking about you know my career and you know the 25 years that I spent in various industries, I think of my the, the role that I play um, and as a portfolio career, right? Where I'm bringing together the flexibility um, of a um, of a digital worker, but mm-hmm. also um, this 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 loyalty to an ideal, right? And so, yeah. what I mean by that is that I am an earth scientist first, mm-hmm. but everything that on top of that, right, is so I'm loyal to the systems thinking around earth scientists, but I have the flexibility of the multiple industries that I've I've worked in and to this kind of digital culture, right? That that that. It, you know, elucidates this flexibility. Very um, interesting. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know, the way that I also like to think about this too is around, um, you know, with my, my, the, the role that I, that I have at Microsoft is really around innovation and culture. Um, so this, this innovation culture that, that is focused on delivering a societal service, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's the way I think about what I do, um, around systems, um, you know, applying a portfolio career to what it is that I do. And then in addition, this, this culture of innovation and delivering a, a service to society. That's the way I think about what I do. Wow, that 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 sounds all very very interesting. So, your your resume is remarkable. How does your background as a geologist shape what you do at a tech company like Microsoft? And you know, maybe how you approach even the energy transition our country and the world is experiencing these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a big question, right? Um, so the way that I think about um, you know my role at a tech company, like I mentioned, as a systems leader, um, you know, in in a systems leader with a, a purview for societal change, right? Because that's what mm. we're talking about. Um, so as I mentioned, it was my tra- my training as a geoscientist to think of macro systems, right? Mm-hmm. So think of macro systems in terms of cycles and patterns and points of inflections. So when I think about geoscience and, and how I've learned about thinking of, thinking of large scale systems that the, and processes that, that, that move over millions of years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to think of, you know, um, the boundary conditions within which these things operate. So when we think of Earth systems, we think of the major drivers for Earth systems, the sun, planetary mm-hmm. alignment, uh, the oceans, right? These are the major systems that are that impact, you know, um, the planet that we live on, right? So then in that training, right, we, we, we deal with large timescales. We deal with the macroscopic um, uh, aspects of Earth systems. But then at the same time, you know, I spent three years counting sand grains in a river system, <laughs> right? Literally. <laughs> sand grains and uh, pebbles, pebble-sized sand grains. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Um, and I spent a long time doing that, and I found it incredibly interesting, the amount of information that you can get from a pile of sand, right, as far as provenance and, and history of the earth, right? So those macro systems are also seen in a grain of sand, Mm-hmm. Right. So being able to think both macroscopically and microscopically is one of the things that I apply. Right. And that is, again, leading us to the connections piece, those points of inflections and data. Right. Mm-hmm. So as a geoscientist, I'm data driven um, mm-hmm. and I'm trained to find the connections between the microscopic and being able to understand it from a macroscopic systems level. Right. So that's the way I've been trained. And so when we start thinking about energy transition, we start thinking about economic systems, business systems, right? Business, you know, all geopolitical, you know, policy, government, health crisis, climate. These are all very macroscopic societal issues. And so I approach it from the same critical thinking, problem solving um, methodology that I learned to, um, you know, translate geoscience problems starting early. Right. So following I, the science, I, I love what I'm hearing because, as as uh, as our listeners know, we are all about analytics, and it's our our bread and butter here at SAS. So on that on that same um, line of thought, Don, 
you know, where our industry is obviously going through a lot uh, of transition. We have things like electric vehicles coming in. We have battery energy storage. We have all these different uh, topics all happening in parallel. So how do you view the importance of analytics to where the energy sector goes from here in this very dynamic environment? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, analytics is 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 key, right? So knowledge about your data um, and, and all things data, right? So they were talking about the quality of your data, understanding the metadata and how it's important to support mm. um, informed decisions. And everything that I've just talked about is driven on data, data-driven decisions. And it's an essential part of our ecosystem, right? And that our ecosystem that supports this kind of open, this idea of open science, right? Mm. So looking at QAQC standards, how we're collecting our data, how we're tracking, how we're, how we're looking at data provenance. I mean, I use that word to describe you know what I did in my thesis, but I also think about it as a data piece as a you know, it's, it's a sand grain, right? right <laughs> that right. has implications, right? So how we um, are tracking, how we're QAQCing our data, um, looking at the, the curation, the traceability, the documentation, right? These are all crucial for making sound decisions and policy, right? Um, and all of these efforts rely on data. Um, and, you know, and then we start looking at the, the collaboration piece among the data, how we are openly or not openly sharing our data, what the data stores look like, you know, and that's even before I start answering your question around analytics, right? Um, having an open, transparent system where we can understand, see, visualize, and share our data is going to be paramount to being able to solve these kind of interdisciplinary, um, uh, cross-industry, global societal issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, um, that's an ongoing topic as well in the sense that, you know, we're, we're navigating the different mindsets that exist around data sharing uh, today. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, for us to truly unleash the, um, the true potential of where we can take our world with all these different technologies. Uh, I, I, I too personally feel that, you know, this, this data sharing piece is going to be a critical component uh, right. to better understand our customers, our environments, like you're saying, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, just develop a better appreciation for how these things all connect together. So, um, you know, Microsoft is huge in cloud and mm-hmm. um, we're talking about different technologies here. Uh, so how do you how do you think regulators encourage mm-hmm. um, utilities in this example to explore new technologies such as the cloud? Yeah, so I think that you know you can kind of look at it from different perspectives, but um, you know from a regulation standpoint, um, heterogeneity in regulation makes it difficult for business, right? So we really have to look at um, regulation and from from a state and federal level and the way that um, policy uh, policies are. Um, line in line with the private sector right so so when we we look at technology the use and um, adoption of different technologies and also when we start thinking about the equitable equitable distribution of um, uh, things that these data points are talking about when we're talking about resources when we're talking about electricity or utilities that are um, you know meant to be a right for every person, right? We're looking at equitable distribution of energy, power, water, right? 
And this isn't just the an issue within the private sector. It's also a public sector issue. And then we have to look at, you know, federal policy that, you know, drives state policy and then independent states that have policies that govern and work alongside the private sector. So it, it is it is a it's a large issue, um, but then there's also a piece of it where we have to remember that this is, again, delivering a societal service, hmm. right? This is it, You have to remember this is about the people that receive these ser- services. And so when we're looking at new technologies, we have to think about the, the culture of innovation, the culture around state and federal government, and how they work in conjunction with the private sector that is moving forward and um, also, but also cannot do it alone, right? We got to look at ways that we can change individual behaviors, behavior around organizations and companies in the private sector, but then also enabling conditions that the public sector and policy can drive so that this is a long-standing, sustainable change, not something that is, you know, just a year or two years, that this is something that, you know, you know, you mentioned that I'm a mom, right? I'm very, very invested <laughs> in my children's future Absolutely. as any mother is, right? And, and so happy, <laughs> happy belated Mother's Day too. So <laughs> thank you so much. But um, you know, we're looking for longstanding change that's going to impact my grandchildren. So, you know, we want to make sure that policy, private sector, and individuals are all on the same page and in, in the direction that we're moving. No, that's that's very well said, and um, I think that's something that our, uh, in in particular, one one of our core markets, the the utilities, is is really opening up to and and trying to see how they can integrate, um, for instance, the cloud into their environment, uh, and and moving away from a from an environment where there was it was all about having on premise control over mm-hmm. the technology that they had, and and you know letting go of some of that for a greater good. So uh, very very well said there. So. Don, you know, growing up as a as a kid, you know, I I, I was all surrounded around micro, uh, sur- totally surrounded by Microsoft from the Word applications that I used in school to learning how to type to uh, chatting with my cousins around the world on Emerson mm-hmm. Messenger. Um, so, you know, what, how, or or let me ask it this way: So, why does a tech company like Microsoft care about all this? Um, you know, uh, happening around the energy space. Mm-hmm. Well, so 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 there, there's different answers to that, you know. And I think that the simplest way that we can kind of talk about, you know, Microsoft's um, business strategy when it comes to um, uh, uh, energy and and it's and and how we're approaching um, our our um, our policies towards sustainability and how we're facing the market. And it's very simple, you know, where we say that for Microsoft to do well, the world needs to do well, hmm. right? Um, and that is really a basic premise that that Microsoft is operating off of. Um, that's a big reason why we. Um, show such um, transparency in the process that we're going through. We've made such robust goals and commitments around climate change and sustainability. And then we've also taken a lot of self-reflection um, you know, and and really looked at where we can improve, where we can do better. And we also look across our positions of influence. 
very, very, um, um, you know, take a, a deep dive into where it is that, um, that, 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 that we work across, right? Looking at our, our customers, um, looking at how we make our investments, right? Looking at our whole supplier portfolio, how we advocate for change, right? And I mentioned about policy being so important, mm-hmm. how Microsoft is, is, you know, functions as an employer, right? We have 150,000 employees and that is a great force for change, right? Um, how we um, exercise within our partner network, you know? So we look at our, our positions of influence, our sphere of influence, and we recognize, you know, from self-reflection and from also understanding the scale of this problem, or the issues that we face as society, it's not a Microsoft-only problem. Mm-hmm. We must expand that sphere to include everybody that we touch because this isn't a single individual organization. We have to look at ways to scale, right? And so we look at accelerating action um, beyond just the, the problem that we see in front of us, but thinking about how we influence the greater good. And, you know, one of the analogies that I heard a while ago that, that I feel that, 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 that kind of... Um, resonates with me is um, when you think about these these dating apps sometimes, you know, and, um, you know, someone says on there, you know, I'm lonely, right? Or I feel <laughs> yeah. alone, right? And you think that you're the only person in the world that feels that way until you go to a place where you say it out loud and Everyone else says the same thing. Well, I feel lonely too. I'm lo- and right, then all of a right. sudden, everybody says, okay, well, I'm having that same problem. And because you were vulnerable in the moment and you were able to say, speak to your, you know, what, what it is that you're going through, then you find that, and that everybody else is actually, it resonates, right? Yeah. And that's, that's really what I've been seeing in, um, since Microsoft has really made these kind of very robust, you know, um, goal, you know, um, announcements around our goals is that you know I'm I'm in the part I'm in our customer and partner space literally every day, and um, it's like Microsoft said you know we're, we feel alone, but then everybody else, all of our customers, well we're having that same problem too. We're looking at being able to to be a force for the greater good. How is it that you're able to see short term losses but then realize long term gains? Right, like they're you know everybody is coming out you know, saying, well, Microsoft is doing it this way. Let's figure out how we can do it too. Let's figure out how we can look at our sphere of influence. It's like we said we're lonely and then everybody's coming and saying they're, they, they're feeling the same way. And so it ends up having this, this, this flywheel or a snowball effect, right? Um, and, and that is the power of, you know, showing your vulnerability so that you can um, elicit change. Absolutely. And, um, I, I know one thing that uh, once this episode is released, I think that analogy is going to be a big hit, Don. So uh, we'll trademark it to you. Uh, no, that, that's 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 a very wise and you know very uh, important element um, that we see as well. You know, it's 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 almost as if. Um, you know, we can't be true leaders without being vulnerable uh, ourselves. And um, the, 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 the way you connected it with the industry um, in, in that personal uh, sort of uh, manner is, is, is very, very interesting and also very wise in, in terms of the approach that Microsoft is taking. So um, moving towards uh, Texas, and as someone who lives in Texas, you have experienced the impacts of everything from hurricanes to ice storms 
Now, what kind of challenges does the industry face in terms of both physical and digital infrastructure in this era? Yeah, so you know that that again is a is a is a long long answer <laughs> to a short question. Um, however, we like you to know, ask tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the way I think about it, you know, is is that you know we're we are talking about a um, you know a, a systems issue, right? We're, we're we're thinking about this and not just um, a physical standpoint from a term of physical assets, but also for in terms of a digital aspect, digital infrastructure, different digital assets and, and the boundary conditions around both. Right. And so one of the things that I, I see is that we can't have this, this fixed mindset, right? We can't remain fixed and scaling vertically only when we're talking about an industry. Um, we can't have a fixed mindset and own and digital only that we have to be able to scale both horizontally, right? Mm-hmm. And, and have learnings across cross industry learnings um, using something like digital, a digital ena- cross industry digital enabler, right? So that we can scale horizontally and then also scale vertically. We can't have this fixed mindset that it's either or. Um, we have to start thinking through what it means to be a platform provider, thinking through platform style solutions, right? Where we're not focus just on the the software assets, but being able to operate that front end where we're connecting platform of platform solutions to these software assets, right? So that we're 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 looking at at these 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 two systems sitting together. We also have to change how we're thinking about business outcomes, right? How we're thinking, like for the for the most part, we think of um, a winner takes all mentality in in the um, kind of the, the 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 our our kind of global or or cultural um, business mindset, where we need to think of more of an ebb and flow, where you know we have um, market share dominance versus um, uh, someone has you know, complete mind share. We're talking mm. about um, a, a an ebb and flow as opposed to a winner takes all, right? Because when we're when we're in this space where I'm talking about, you know, this type of business strategy where we are putting societal impact first, then sometimes it's about taking a loss so that you can have long-term gain. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that is part and parcel to this kind of digital or kind of gig technology and being able to marry these two type of systems. Also, we have to look at how we are viewing workers. Right. Because it's not just um, about, you know, these are all systems that work inter- interchangeably or, you know, they interconnectedly. Um, when we think about transformation, digital transformation, there is also workforce transformation, the people that are being impacted and also the people that are working within the system to make it better. We have to change how we're thinking about um, about the workforce. Uh, you know, we have the uh, the great crew change. We've been talking about it for years. I guess it's here. Mm-hmm. You know, my, <laughs> my Gen X self, you know, we've been talking about it for so long. The great crew change is here, right? So we have to think about how we're going to be upskilling workers, how we're going to be changing, um, you know, uh, how we're coming out of school, folks that are in the mid career, um, changing the flexibility and uh, the flexibility of, of kind of this digital gig economy 
And also marrying that with that purpose-driven loyalty that we've seen, you know, when I think of my parents, um, um, you know, as as part of the workforce, they were very loyal, staying with the same yeah. company. But, you know, what I'm saying in this case is that the loyalty comes from purpose, mm-hmm. right? And so the the purpose of the organizations are what is going to drive loyalty from um, from employees, right? Um, being able to move forward with empathy and confidence from an individual and from an organizational perspective so that we're talking about these portfolio careers, these, uh, the ability to learn as opposed to the, 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 know, the know-it-all versus the learn-it-all, right? Focusing on the soft skills and problem-solving Right. So this is part of this workforce transformation and upskilling in the digital age. And the last thing I'll say um, when we're talking about, you know, Texas and, and you know, this, 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 this change, right, that we're undergoing is government. Right. And, and the way I, I think about it, honestly, is, is um, from from the smoking. Right. Like smoking public policy and cigarettes. So when I when I was a kid um, in high school, it was that comprehensive smoking education act. Right. Yeah. Where they came into the schools and, you know, they were educating us about all the woes of smoking and that sort of thing. And we all laughed, right? We were like, eh, you know, <laughs> like, isn't that funny, right? However, you know, now, right, when I think about where it started from an education standpoint, it's night and day, right? Like, mm-hmm. it is very strange to walk into a restaurant and think that people can smoke inside of a restaurant. We have changed our behavior. We have changed our mentality. Um, you know, cigarettes aren't even sold at CVS anymore, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. and so our, as a, as, a, as a culture, right, we have changed our mentality because of a, a public health crisis, right? Now, think about the, today, we are going through multiple crises, right? That is impacting every single solitary one of us. And if you think about the what it took for us to change as a culture around smoking, that's a public health crisis, it's going to take the same thing around policy, pricing, and persuasion, right? To be able to, 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 to change, right? to change our behavior, to change um, people that want to go kicking and screaming because there's a price point. There's a price point to changing behavior. And that's something that only the government can do, right? right? As, right. Far, as far as um, policy and being able to implement these things across the board. Um, Don, I'm going to ask you for those three P's again. Um, I, I think that's another, that's another trademark we're getting out of this episode. Um, so, so what I was saying was that it, um, it takes a com- from a, from a government standpoint, it takes a combination of policy, pricing and persuasion. So policy, pricing, and persuasion, very powerful um, stuff there. Now, um, in the beginning, uh, Don, you briefly talked about, you know, um, sort of this um, equity, right? Or this this environmental equity. And, and uh, uh, some, some episodes back, we had Dean Bill Bolding from, the, from, mm-hmm. from Duke University's uh, Fuqua School of Business. And we talked about how there's a lot of discussion around um, the fact that for instance, uh, social justice and environmental justice are not mutually exclusive. Um, so, you know, bringing that to our industry um, and this discussion with yourself and with so much changing uh, in both the short and long term and several of those topics we covered today, how do we ensure that no one is actually left behind? And and how can we make this energy transition and, and change that is happening both from a technology perspective as well as you know from the policy perspective or some of some of the the cultural perspectives that you were share, share, uh, sharing earlier so how, how can we make this energy transition happen but happen more equitably 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, that, that, that's, that's a, 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 a difficult question in some respects, you know, I think that, um, in some ways it's not, you know, I'm not going to say that it's easy, but there's some very, very simple things, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so one thing that is very simple and it doesn't take much for, for us as a culture, as a society to do it is just around diversity and inclusion. And I know that that DNI ends up being a little bit of a buzzword nowadays, but when you dig into what, what, what we're talking about with inclusion and uplifting the voices of the underrepresented. Um, It's not just because it feels good. It absolutely Mm -hmm. feels good, but it's also because um, we think better when Mm -hmm. we think in diverse groups. Groupthink is very deadly, right, to a society. Um, And we're blessed with a diverse, diverse culture, right? And so uplifting the voices of the underrepresented is a very simple thing, but it also, um, one doesn't happen, but it is, it's a simple thing that, um, changes almost everything. Right. Mm. Because, and it's, and it's, and again, it's not just the diversity of thought and the diversity of the voices being heard, but it's also including those voices in, um, in policy, all of the three P's, um, in, uh, all different, um, manners of industry and sectors, making sure that you have, you're not, you know, deadened by group think when Mm -hmm. we're trying to solve difficult issues because it's not, um, uh, a monolith of who these things will impact, right? So it should not be a monolith in how we are um, working through the solution. So to me, that's that's number one, right? Is is having this 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 diversity of thinking that is paramount for us to um, embrace inclusion, right? And to embrace inclusion, we also have to think about what we're willing to give up. Right. Because um, we have to think of privilege and we have to think of, you know, are we willing to give up a measure of our privilege so Mm -hmm. that voices that are not usually heard can be heard? Because that is what is going to change our thinking and also change the way that we move forward. Um, So so that that's number one. And then, you know, the way that I kind of think about this, too, is is that it's an art form. Right. So we're looking at staring down the barrel of a, a, to me, it's a, um, it's a, uh, earth event or earth, you know, earth ending event for our, our civilization and us as a human race. I mean, I really do look at it that way and it feels almost impossible, right? It does. For me, when I think about earth systems and the drivers behind them, right? Their planetary alignment, the sun, the ocean, right? These are the things that are driving. They're monumental systems. How do I, as a small individual, right, solve these problems? How do we as a society? They're huge, right? They're interconnected. So they seem impossible, but it's an art form to uncover the possible when something seems impossible. And I personally consider myself an artist, you know, ah, okay. And so, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, that we need this grounded optimism, you know, that follows the science and understanding that, that, that with what we're looking at solving, no, no human on this earth isn't, isn't impacted by the water, the air, the earth, the energy, right? So it's personal. It's personal for all of us. 
Absolutely. And uh, I got to ask you this, since you mentioned, um, you know, uh, this, this artisticness, do you have uh, an artistic figure that inspires you when you think about these issues? Oh, that's a hard one. I mean, you know, I think of art in a lot of different ways, you know, um, obviously, <laughs> um, you know, I, I definitely think of art in, in kind of the, the fine art standpoint. And then I also think of art in, um, in a thought way in the way that, mm. that, that people, um, think differently, you know? Um, so if I've, you know, I, I don't know, I wasn't expecting this question, but I think like from, from, <laughs> you know, I think of, of, um, of musicians, uh, you know, I think of, you know, some of my favorite musicians like, a, you know, like an Andre Day or like oh, yeah. a Tracy Chapman or something like that oh, from yeah. back in the day. You know, um, I think of artists like that um, and uh, the idea of words, sound and power. Right. Um, yes. And how, um, you know, the sound of the spoken word and the music. Right. How that resonates and influences us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So so I think of that you know, in context of my counting sand greens for three years, you know, and, you know, that aspect of my art and being able to share that, right? The way right. that a musician sings and you can hear their sound and it resonates with you. The work that I put in, I think of, you know, the, the musicians that I spoke of, you know, and them being able to share their art form. I think of it in the same way with the culmination of all the work that I've done, all the education and experience comes down to this moment and the way that I am able to express myself and express my art form in the form of science. Oh, that's, that's very well said. Um, Don, this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much for your insights, um, for, for sharing your personal aspects on, on a lot of these things. And most importantly, your time. I've no doubt that our listeners will want to connect with you as well and learn more from you. And uh, for that purpose, they can find you on Twitter to continue the conversation at geodon underscore James. That's G-E-O-D-A-W-N underscore James. Here's one last curveball for you. I promise this will be the last one. <laughs> okay. um, we're building an electrifying AI playlist on Spotify during the season two of our, 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 our episode. And you get to pick a song. And um, we talked about musicians a little bit, so this mm. hopefully should be uh, <laughs> relatively straightforward. Uh, and bonus points if it includes anything related to energy. Well, I don't know um, if this is specifically energy. I think you can make some 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 analogies or <laughs> some draw some connections. But I, you know, I mentioned Andre Day. That Andre Day is one of these musicians that. Um, that, that has gotten me through this lockdown, right? Gotten me through mm. all of this, this time that we've, you know, we've all been kind of dealing with for this, you know, for, for this year and a half or so and rise up. I mean, I'm sure all the listeners have probably heard this song by Andre Day. It, it speaks to me. It's definitely my, my go-to song. So I'd love to see that on your playlist is um rise up from andre day let's let's make a, let's make it happen then so we'll uh we'll get that in, in we'll get that in our playlist so listeners what song would you want us to include as well please please share your thoughts leave your music suggestions in the comments or tweet them to me at the electric sal uh, and we might just include your pick on our playlist and send you some cool electrifying ai swag to say thank you well, folks, that is all for this episode. Uh, we'll see you again soon. In the meantime, be safe 
and we'll be back. Thank you. 